Hello everyone, welcome back to Mindset Podcast, which was Two Therapists Talking Therapy. And I may well keep that name, but it is changing into One Therapist (laughs) Talking Therapy. As I've come on today to announce, unfortunately, that David can no longer do the podcast with me. So came to an agreement a few weeks ago that he would step out because he felt he had too many other commitments and it just became a bit complicated with the Australia-England thing and for both of us fitting it in with our different commitments. And this originally was my baby in a sense and so we've agreed that I will continue on if I wanted to. Um, And I guess that's really what I wanted to talk about today because continuing on on my own brings quite a lot of feelings up for me. Um, and is slightly challenging. It's getting less challenging now as I've worked through it over the last few weeks, but initially it was a bit challenging. So before I get into that and what I want to talk about today, which the main issue, the main sort of subject I thought I'd talk about today was imposter syndrome. But yes, before I get into that, I just wanted to say thank you to David and how much I enjoyed working together. Um, as always, and I enjoyed his wit and his mind and the banter, and I will miss that. Um, but my plan is to have other therapists come on, and then sometimes maybe to do it on my own, and just sort of see where it goes, see how it unfolds. And I know for some people it might be disappointing to not have a male therapist on. I, I really did enjoy that aspect of it, coming from the male-female perspective, but I do hope to have some men on the podcast, so, you know, if you are a man who had enjoyed that aspect of it, please keep listening. If you decide not to, that's also fine. I totally respect that and realise that some people may not feel it's the same thing anymore and choose not to listen. But, um, you know, we've had almost 500 downloads all across the world and I felt that that was worth keeping going with. And I always said to David, you know, even if we get four or five, I'd be happy with that. But I'm I'm thrilled to see that there's been so many. Keep uh, subscribing and keep putting comments if you would. That would be great. Um, I know Apple is really makes it really easy to put comments in. Some of the others are not so easy. You can find me on Deezer. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, and a few others. I'll list them. I'll list them and then you can have a look. But yeah, there's always feedback sections. Maybe hard to work out, but give it a go. It really is helpful just to know what might be interesting if you'd like to hear about something in particular, uh, what I'm not doing could do better or what you really enjoy about it would be really, really great. Okay, so let's get on with the show today. So as I said, I thought I'd talk about imposter syndrome because I had quite a lot of feelings come up when we decided not to do it together anymore. And I guess I thought it might be worth sharing that vulnerability with you today because I think we're coming into a time where very much people are realising that talking about stuff is helpful. And that's what therapy is all about, you know. Talk therapy is all about being able to talk about things with a, with a professional who's trained in supporting you and um, is able to, you know, work with you in a sense. 
But I thought I'd talk about my own vulnerability today a little bit before I go into the whole thing about imposter syndrome. And that kind of idea that that I was thinking about it after we decided not to go on together. I was thinking about that feeling of ultimately being alone in this life. You know, we stand alone in our own bodies and we are alone and loneliness and aloneness are sort of big parts of being human and they're, you know, they're um, sometimes difficult to deal with. And so this idea of suddenly being on my own to do the podcast brought a lot up for me and this kind of idea that being alone in our own kind of humiliation of a situation is part of being human and how imperfect and scared we can be in life. That to share that vulnerability, I think, reminds others that they're not alone as well, I hope, and just makes for connection. And I think in the end, connection is what humans are all about and what is so important to be able to offer our feelings through talking openly, even if it is sad or embarrassing or difficult or challenging. It makes us more accessible to others and and they can relate often. So I thought, well, I'll share my experience and thinking about the idea for me of, of sort of being liked and how doing the podcast on my own, would people like it? Would people enjoy it? Would it be uh, interesting still? And I had to sort of work through all those feelings about friendships and how we wait often for another person to show us that they want our company or they want to do something with us and yet that's also our role you know we each have to do that and we have to look at our own fears of rejection and our own ideas around that and so I worked through all of those things around the finishing off of doing the podcast with someone else and I realized that yeah, you know, there's there's always discomforts there that we experience when we when we go into change. Change is difficult for us as humans, isn't it? And I found a really good quote that I thought I might share with you. As you know, I quite like to share a quote. It is that if you think you can or you think that you can't, you're right. And that was by Henry Ford, the car manufacturer. I thought that was kind of good. You know, it's like, it's really about our belief systems about ourselves, ultimately, isn't it? We're very good at comparing ourselves and believing, sort of thinking about what other people think about us, and yet, really, it's what we need to think. And then there was another one that I found, which was by Clement Stone, which was, what the mind can conceive, the mind can achieve. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. So... I went on to look at confidence in myself and really about being able to do something effectively, however difficult it might feel to me, you know. It sort of helped to look at the thought process around what I was doing there. Was I labelling myself as not worthy or, you know, um, was I going to be good enough or were people going to think I was funny or, you know, all those things that come up for us all. And also that idea of being a fraud. And I think this is where it goes into the imposter syndrome stuff. Looking at whether I was using kind of self-defeating words like should I or could I or was I jumping to conclusions 
and sort of saying negative things to myself before really knowing what the truth was. And the truth is, I knew that I just needed to get back up, get on with it and do it on my own. <laughs> and so that's what I'm going to do. And uh, and then I hope it will unfold in some way. You know, somebody might join me or I'll have people come on to the show. I was thinking about then, about imposter syndrome. And so I did a bit of research and I discovered that in 1978, an article came out by um, Dr. Pauline Clance and Dr. Suzanne Limes. And it was called The Imposter Phenomenon in High Achieving Women. And so I was reading that and it was really interesting. And it was really talking about, you know, women having this problem more than anyone else. And they uh, quote something they said that despite the constant evidence of external validation, these women lacked the internal knowledge of their accomplishments. And that kind of sums up imposter syndrome in a sense, this idea that even though you've studied, you've done everything you need to do and you probably are capable of doing it, you don't believe that. You might uh, believe that you were just lucky or you just got it because of some other thing. And they believed that it became that it comes really from gender stereotypes, early family dynamics and culture. And I think that's something I'd like to talk a bit more about a bit down the track, um, this cultural aspect. Because really since then, we've really gone along a lot further around imposter syndrome. There's still not a lot of great work on it but a lot of the stuff that I've been reading recently is about attachment and I think that was something I learned a lot about I was lucky to have done a nursery nursing diploma well almost finished it I didn't quite finish it being a dyslexic I panicked and bolted on the last year before my exam but um, I learned a lot I think attachment is very important around a lot of aspects of healing and understanding ourselves as human beings so it it really you know since then we've begun to realize as we've studied attachment more and we've we've also studied you know there's a lot of people like Gabor Mate who've studied um, trauma and attachment and talk a lot about this stuff I'll bring a couple of his quotes in later but really looking at the fact that it really affects a lot of different people it's not just women you know it affects um students and men and women and in fact one of the statistics I saw is 70% of people will show signs of imposter syndrome it's not saying they are completely suffering with imposter syndrome but they may have signs of it which I thought was pretty high and pretty interesting and um, it's often associated with Things like new environments, academic settings, workplace, social interactions, and even within relationships. So, yeah, it's a really interesting subject. I thought that I've been thinking recently about entitlement and what a big subject that is at the moment as well. And I wondered if entitlement and imposter syndrome had some kind of connection. So I've been doing a bit of reading. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, you know, living in this world of comparisons that we do, I think, really heightens that sense of imposter syndrome and also the sort of entitled aspect of things. 
So entitlement really is a belief that you're deserving of privileges and special treatment, generally. And this sort of comes from this stance of not having earned that right. So there's a sense of you owe me. And it can become a real problem for people and can feel, if if they don't get what they feel like they're owed, if they do suffer with this kind of entitled sense, they can get really frustrated and feel really let down, really disappointed if they're not receiving what they believe that they're entitled to, basically. And, And it can lead to things like anxiety and depression and can be really challenging for people. And it can be often, it's often seen as a product of how parents treat their children. So it does come back to attachment often. And these days, I think parents are finding it a lot harder to hold on to their children. You know, this it's with social media, with the sort of breakup of families, with people not living near each other so much anymore. You know, this kind of idea that children are, are much more going towards their peers rather than their parents or their families. Um, This is something that Gabor Mate talks about in his book. And I just wanted to quote a little bit for you. It's from his book called Hold On To Your Kids. Children may know what they want, but it is dangerous to assume that they know what they need. To the peer-orientated child, it seems only natural to prefer contact with friends to closeness with family, to be with them as much as possible, to be as much like them as possible. A child does not know best. Parenting that takes its cues from the child's preference can get retired long before their job is done. To nurture our children, we must reclaim them and take charge to providing for their attachment needs. So that was a book by Gabor Mate and Dr. Gordon Newfield. Hold on to your kids. Why parents need, need to matter more than peers. It's a very interesting book. You know, it's a psychology book, so it's it's not like easy reading, <laughs> but it's very well written. It's very interesting. And I was thinking when I was reading that how some children not parented, you know, like maybe having um, sick parents or having parents with mental health problems, like really serious mental health problems, and that really affects attachment. And also parents maybe who are drug addicted. Um, can really affect attachment. That child develops, you know, a sense of of self lacking in a foundation where you know they haven't really had that foundation with their parent. And I was thinking, would they suffer maybe with imposter syndrome or entitlement? So I was sort of thinking about that and and thought, yeah, you know, it probably is a really big part of it. And they talk about the lack of parenting because of a need to work. And how your children are relying on other children, so on their peers often. And then I was thinking about television and social media. Just trying to understand how children, really young children, begin to interpret their lives through social media and through perfectionism and um, this idea that what they see is real. And a lot of that really has a big part to play in this kind of loss of connection that we all experience. And the idea that our family, our tribe and our neighbours are part of our family in a sense 
um, and the way we live now, sort of being able to travel a lot more and not living close together and not knowing the people down the road or even our neighbours often. And so there's that kind of lack of connection and then lack of attachment in a sense. And that leads to difficult feelings maybe about how we feel about ourselves, how we think and see ourselves. And, and of course, lack of attachment also leads to a lack of trust. Here's another quote. If the desire to be good for us is not treasured and nurtured, the child will lose his motivation to keep trying to measure up. It is, it is children's desire to be good for us that warrants our trust, not their ability to perform our expectations. I thought that was really powerful. And that's again from Gabor Mate and Dr. Gordon Newfeld book. And I just think all of this is very interesting around insecure attachment. And I was thinking about what I have read about this and how self-reliance and unhealthy reliance, self-assurance can lead to sort of anxiety and insecurity and lead to sort of narcissistic type behaviour and self-promotion. And then they go into entitlement. But underneath just being really unable to accept positive or negative feedback. People find people who are sort of suffering with that just find it really hard because they've really believed so much in themselves and they've often had possibly either that or they've had this really negative perception around them so their self-worth. So imposter syndrome, I think, to me, seems to be associated with a lack of cohesion in families where sort of self-expression is often limited and conflict and rules are really high um, and then you know you end up with this kind of disconnect again. I was also interested in something that I was reading in an article in 2001 done by written by Fester who talked about self-esteem and imposter thoughts were related so if the parent was overprotective, for example, or intrusive or controlling or didn't really care or rejected the person, this could lead to imposter syndrome. So if any of these thoughts are sort of triggering you or making you think about things, it's always worth getting some support around that because imposter syndrome is quite common. It's worth sort of looking into it a little bit and understanding it for yourself. Although there are positives around that way of being, that sort of having that imposter syndrome, you might be able to really push yourself and be really productive in some way. It can also cause real problems such as, you know, serious procrastination, being stuck, lack of effort, anxiety, depression, can cause low self-esteem. And for some people it can cause um, drug use and um, this feeling of complete disconnect you know lack of sort of conscientiousness so not being able to be really kind to others and then eventually leading into sort of narcissistic behaviors and that's not helpful you know for anyone so it's always worth talking about it understanding it one of the one of the first things about dealing with something like imposter syndrome is beginning to get awareness around it. That's the beginning of moving out of these things. 
So yeah, it's always worth getting some help, talking to someone and seeing if you can work your way around that. So some ideas of maybe really dealing with it, you know, to start talking about it to someone. Finding a way to sort of separate your feelings from the facts to see whether that is a reality. Really look for the positives in the way that you maybe live your life or someone else, you might be thinking about someone else. Develop a really healthy response to when you make a mistake, you know, dealing with that. Develop a new way of thinking if you can. And that often needs to be done in therapy. You know, that's a lot of the work that we do, helping people re reframe things, do things in a different way. You know, cognitive therapy is all about that sort of and also being able to visualise what you are good at, you know, and, and, and really notice that. And one of the some of the signs of it are this fear of being a fraud, being found out, being incompetent underestimating your own success in a sense yeah so and and then I guess when I was looking into the idea of entitlement as well and and how it might be sort of in some way connected I was thinking about this sense of how it can affect people sometimes at work or their work can be really good but their home relationships are not so good So that goes back again to attachment styles and how that can lead to a life of sort of high achieving but not feeling valued, which is about imposter syndrome as well, or the high achieving and then having these expectations, entitlement. So yeah, those are just some of my thoughts about imposter syndrome and entitlement and things I think that that we're dealing with a bit these days, particularly because of social media. You know, this whole idea of comparing ourselves to each other is a big one. And social media has done a lot of that and attributed to a lot of people feeling incredibly fraudulent in themselves or completely lacking, you know, because there's these kind of pictures of perfectness in a sense and their lives are not that way. And in fact, those pictures are not even real in a sense often. So being able to differentiate what's real and what's not sometimes is difficult. And that's another place where sometimes having therapy really helps. Getting rid of some of your social media accounts. I know I have a lot of clients who've talked about having got rid of their social media accounts because it was just causing them harm in a sense. So that's what I thought I'd talk about today. I hope it's interesting. and. Um, I think today's one I'm going to keep a little bit shorter just because it's my saying goodbye and saying hello to the new. I feel like it's just better to keep it short. And yeah, the future, I'm not sure how it's going, where it's heading. And I, and although there were some insecurities around that initially, I feel really confident in that. And it just will go where it goes and, and that's okay. And uh I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll stay with me. Continue to enjoy listening. Find some interest, even just a little bit within it. But as I said before, do give me some feedback if you'd like to. I'd really appreciate that. Okay. Have a great day, evening, morning, night, whatever time you're listening to this. Enjoy. And I really look forward to speaking again and joining you next month.
on the Mindset Podcast. Okay, bye.